1: Of the world, Steve Fingerstyles!
0: So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by Black Belt CBD. For into CBD products, or you want to try CBD products for the very first time, go to blackbeltcbdproducts.com. Use promo code the podcast twenty five. You'll get twenty five percent off. They ship within North America. They this is more geared towards your athlete, but. For everyday blue collar worker, for anyone who has aches and pains, it's good for you too. It's more of a rub on, you don't smoke it, you don't ingest it. It's lotions, it's stuff like that you put on your muscles so it takes away the pain. Very low THC, less than 1%, you will not get high by absorbing it so do not worry about that as well. So please visit blackbeltcbdproducts.com. And if you're into nerd culture and collectibles, please go to firstrow.ca. This is a Canadian company based out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. And if you use promo code THEPODCAST20, you'll get 20% off. Everything you see there is in Canadian funds, so to all my American listeners, you'll get it a little bit cheaper rate because of obviously the conversion. Our dollar is less than yours, so there's that. And they update daily, so please check them out every day. They got everything from comic books to signed memorabilia to wrestling figures, sports memorabilia. Anything you need or want, they literally have it there. And if you want to support me directly, please visit my T Public store at tpublic.com. Or if you scroll down on your device, it's embedded right there in today's description. Click on that link; it takes you right to my merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to baby onesies to. Pillows, literally everything you want. Even COVID masks are now available there. Please go visit tpublic.com. But if you don't want to support me monetarily, it's totally understandable during these times. So please, the most important thing and easiest thing you could do that helps me out the most, honestly, you have no idea. It takes two seconds out of your life. What else takes you two seconds? Nothing. So please go rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, but most specifically, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So, this week's guest is the author of Boss Fight Books' Red Dead Redemption, Matt Margini.
2: How are you doing, Steve? Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: I'm doing great, my friend. How are you today during these uh, troubled times, as they say?
2: (laughs) You know, uh, it's it's a bit of a circus in my house. We've got um, a two-month-old baby and a -a two-and-a-half-year-old toddler. Um, so one of them's running around the other one's crying a lot um, and it's, it's, it's a lot it's a lot to be sort of you know, in a pressure cooker environment with these two kids but I love them to death they're two good boys
0: So what's keeping you busy during these uh, crazy times, like mentioned? Like, are you going crazy? Do you want it to go back to normal? Or are you one of these people? Because I'm one of these people. I'm loving it. I'm an introvert, so to to speak, and I don't mind being by myself. I got all my toys around me to play with. I got my loving wife, and we're good to go. So to me, I've been ready for this my whole life.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, I've got my boys. I've got my wife. Um, We have a a wonderful family unit here, and... I have to say, I have also fallen deep into a Lego rabbit hole. Oh, wow. Like, that is is my thing right now. Like, what happened was my my son, he was playing with, like, his Duplo train. Sure. And I was like, man, this train sucks. Like, I got to do something about this. (laughs) It has no tracks. It doesn't do anything. And so I cracked open the bins full of 90s legos from my own childhood that were like tucked away in a storage area and then it was like opening pandora's box like i I haven't looked back since i built like a massive cathedral like a a pizza joint called ray and nick's pizza because my two sons are named ray and nick okay it's it's getting out of hand
0: oh my god so what's your ultimate like jam for lego because you know how everything's themed what's what's the thing that you love the most about lego the themed versions
2: Oh, the theme first Well, I'm one of those people who strongly believes that Lego was better before licensing.
1: Oh. Like, as soon as... Oh, yeah. Okay. Like,
2: look, I, I love the idea of Lego Star Wars, Lego well, Batman, sure. Batman, whatever. yeah. And yeah. It, like, that, that's a cool crossover. But I'm a purist. I believe in the religion of the system. I believe in the themes that they had before the licensing, because True. I think there was a lot of creativity there. Right. Like... The underwater ones, the castles, the pirates—I mean, all of that stuff was my childhood. I mean, these were the worlds of my childhood. So, you know, any of them are, are great. I would say probably top one for me is castle. I mean, it, it was only because I had like ten castles as oh, when shit. I was a kid that I was able to build a cathedral. Now at age thirty-one, right? So, you know, it has a special place in my heart.
0: Oh my god! Well. You must be the smartest guest I've ever had on the podcast because you have a PhD in English.
2: I do. I do. And thank (laughs) thank you for saying that. That's really kind. Um,
0: Yeah. So does that lead into your writing? Is that why you went for this PhD or was it something else and then writing fell into your lap?
2: Well, you know, I've always been the kind of person who has had a lot of different interests. Um, And writing was one of my first interests. Okay. for me, for me, like, the writing origin story took place in my 10th grade English class. Mm. Um, I'm from New York City. Um, I went to this high school that was, like, an all-boys, Jesuit, Catholic high school. Okay. And it was full of a lot of what I would charitably call knuckleheads. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, and, and we had this great English teacher in 10th grade named Dr. Tricamo who really knew how to, like, get on our level um, sure. and call us on our shit. And he gave us this assignment in 10th grade that was a journal. Okay. Um, and we had to keep a journal throughout the semester. And, you know, I'm an educator myself right now. Like, I am a high school English teacher now. So oh, I, I respect okay. this guy for his craft and the sure. way he wrangled these 10th graders. And I also respect what he did because he asked us to hand in the journal oh, um, okay. at, a, at an appointed time.
1: Sure,
2: But I decided that I was going to write it the entire night. I was going to write the entire thing the night before. Oh wow! Because I was one of those kids who put everything off until the last <laughs> okay. minute. So I just <laughs> sat there, like at my computer, and I wrote like months worth of journal entries, right. and they were like wacky. They were totally out there. I mean, wow. it was just me, like sort of spilling word vomit about every subject I could think of, like it. And it ended up being like really fun. Okay. Um, I love doing it. Um, and he thought it was fantastic and mm-hmm. so from then on I, like writing became this this thing for me that sure. was it was a passion it was a hobby but it was also intertwined with english class and right. and for me doing the phd was kind of like just being in english class for another decade and i loved every minute of it you know um,
0: no that's awesome
2: like i loved being an english major in college i loved thinking critically about books right i loved analyzing Everything, because as an English major, you learn how to analyze everything around you, every piece of media, every,
0: you
2: know, every message that you get from the world. Um, And it just it just felt natural to me to continue doing that into like a seven year Ph.D.
0: See, that's pretty much why I do the podcast, because now it's like I get to go back and like read like what we're going to talk about today, Red Dead Redemption, obviously, and pieces of art and literature and video games and play games and stuff. And then look at it at a different way, movies, TV shows, because I'm going to have guests on, so I have to have, obviously, material to talk about. So I love that part of thinking and thinking out of the box, not just playing a so-called like a linear line and being like the like okay i'm having fun and that's it right because i'm looking out for every- and i'm just like that in real life to begin with like I-, I could see things out of the corner of my eye that my wife won't even pick up if she's directly looking at it like it's 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 weird the way my brain works like i'm always thinking it's almost like a- as if my brain's a- sort of a computer that needs to keep going or else i'm gonna die or something i don't know that's the way i could only describe myself
2: i'm the same way man like definitely the same way. I. I'm one of those people who many would accuse of reading into something way too much. Yep,
0: all the same time. way.
2: Yeah, um, I'm a professional <laughs> reader into things, um, and you know, you, you probably saw it reading the book, right? I mean, yes. like this is this is a book that where I really try not to take red dead at face value. Right. And I try not to treat it as a big dumb blockbuster where you're just supposed to turn your brain off and shoot bad guys and lasso them or whatever. I mean, it it was, it was never that for me when I first played it and right. it's never been that for me. So I tried to give it the critical treatment that I think everything deserves. I, I really think that everything deserves to be looked at that way. And you expand your mind when you look at things that way. Um, Most definitely. But you know, that's me.
0: No, I totally agree. Like I said, I'm the same way. You're speaking to the choir, my friend. So, did you go back and play the game before you started writing the book, or was this all off of memory?
2: Oh, yeah, I definitely played it um, before I started writing the book. Okay. Um, it was probably like my fourth playthrough at that
0: point. Oh, wow. Like, I, okay. I played
2: the game a bunch of times. Shit. Um, I, I replayed it. Like, the, the genesis of this book is that it, it started out as an article for a magazine called Kill Screen. Okay. Um, which rest in peace it's now <laughs> defunct it's okay. no longer with us um, but it was such a amazing publication when it was alive when it was in its hey- heyday because that was a place that really looked at video games the way that i've always looked at video games as these like you know not it's they're not just products they're sure. not just things you play with they're cultural artifacts they mm-hmm. They have a worldview, you know, like they, they comment on the world. They have things to say about the world and about the people who made them. And they can be expressions of like, you know, deep individual voices. Um, I always saw them that way, but kill screen was one of the few places in the game that was, that really looked at games that way. And when I found them, I just felt like I found a home and, and the editor there encouraged me to write this piece about red dead. And I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, so I replayed the game for that. Um, that might have been my third playthrough. And then I replayed it wow. again another time when when I got the opportunity from Boss Fight Books to turn the piece
1: essentially into a book.
0: And obviously you're a video game fan because you mentioned other video games throughout the book, like from Bioshock to Fallout, to Assassin's Creed, like all these major AAA games. So when did your video game passion begin?
2: I think I've been i've been a video game person since like age 10 or so i think my first okay. video game was like kirby 64 i'm like an n64 person gotcha I started okay um n64 and game boy sure um and yeah like i was also one of those people who
0: was like nintendo only okay for a long time i'm sure you've met people like that yeah um
2: I, i've been sony within.
0: only for the longest time so don't worry
2: <laughs> yeah and who then tasted the forbidden fruit sure. of other companies. Yep. And I, I think like my first uh, game that was made by another company was probably the original Gears of War in like 2007. Okay. And that's that's when I really started getting into mm-hmm. all of the heavy hitter AAA stuff.
0: Sure. Um, so what's your favorite of all time then? Gun to your head.
2: Oh, that's, that's hard to answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, this is this this is kind of um, a good opportunity to promote like one of the upcoming boss fight books because sure. I would say that my favorite video game of all time is probably the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Okay. Because I loved Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. That was a formative experience for me playing that game. I mean, it, that's like at the bedrock of mm-hmm. my consciousness. Right. But to play that game and then to play Majora's Mask a few years later Mm -hmm. and to see the same characters that you were so intimately familiar with just remixed in this dark and tragic and weird way. Um, And also that time mechanic and the way that every character had this like Story that would go on with or without you, whether or not you intervened in what was happening to them, especially like the the romance plot. That's one of the big side quests there. Right. right. I mean, it just blew my freaking mind <laughs> as like a twelve year old or 11-year-old right. Whenever it came out, um, and it, it's it's a game that I continue to think about all the time. Um, as you know, a game that that takes. It, literally, the raw materials of another video game, yeah. and creates art with it. You know,
0: makes sense. No, that's a great pick, indeed. Very good pick. So, do you think someone would have to play Red Dead Redemption before reading your book? I hope not. Okay. Um,
2: and I say that because I I don't really think that it's fundamentally a book just about Red Dead Redemption. Right. um I think it's a book about the Western, yes. and I tried to make it a book about the Western. Yes. And it was important to me to do that because it was really the question that was on my mind as I was playing Red Dead for the umpteenth time. I I was really asking myself, like, well, what is a western? Why are there so many of them? Right. Why did it? Why did the genre die? Um, It's it's not like you go to the movie theater and there's ten westerns in the theater anymore. Whereas you know throughout the twentieth century that would have been the case. Right. Um, But also, I mean, why why has this set of images and ideas and mythic scenarios captured the hearts and minds of the public and particularly the American public Mm -hmm. for so long. Um, That's the question I wanted to ask. And I kind of want to ask it through Red Dead Redemption, because I also think that, you know, to really understand that game, you have to think about its relationship to the genre that is obviously trying to both like, contribute to Mm -hmm. and in some ways undercut you know Mm -hmm. it's trying to be the best western of all time it's also trying to be an anti-western sometimes i mean it has a really complicated and um convoluted relationship to that genre so i thought it, it was like the like i thought that like thinking about that genre was the key that would unlock the whole thing for me
0: no definitely and again i've played red dead redemption but i'm no western fan at all i don't know why i loved red dead redemption it was like so good like it doesn't matter but to me like i never even watched a a western i've never watched a john wayne movie i've never watched a clint eastwood western none of that like the furthest i've gone is westworld i fucking love westworld that's one of my favorite tv shows so for you to reference it in the book as well i love that but you like you paint the Western genre perfectly. Like You even at one point say there's 30, 30 Westerns on either TV or in the movies at one point, so it was a huge booming thing back in the day. And it's because the States is sort of young, it's like their mythos, sort of like how it's for Greek mythology and stuff like that. So to intertwine this in this book and to hear that perspective, for someone like me who knows nothing about Westerns, feels like now I do know something about Westerns.
2: I'm really, really happy to hear that. I'm, I'm hoping that for a lot of people, it's going to illuminate two things simultaneously. It's going to be, you know, uh, a take on Red Dead Redemption that makes you look at that game in a totally different way, but it's also going to be a take on this genre that you might have like a vague familiarity with because everyone knows about tumbleweed and lassos and cowboys and all that stuff. Right. Um, or maybe your dad was into westerns or your grandpa was into westerns, you know, like it. like we're at that remove from the heyday of the genre. Like it's, 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 a few, it's a generation or two um, apart from us at this point. Westworld's kind of all we've got right now. It's Westworld true. and Red Dead Redemption.
0: Well, um, if you think about it, I don't know if you've watched it, Snowpiercer sort of has that Western feel to it if you think about it.
2: I've seen the movie. I haven't seen the Are you talking about the show?
0: Yeah, the TV show that's that that just I think it's just 10 episodes or so and it, you could actually watch okay. it now. Yeah, it's it's sort of has that western vibe because it's sort of like doom and gloomy and it's like it I, I, it's hard to explain but to me that's the first thing that popped into my head was like you said Westworld and now Snowpiercer.
2: Yeah, I, I get that. I get that totally. You know, I mean, I I talk about this in the in the first chapter, but one of the things that's so like like amazing about the western, and that really lets it be this kind of mythic space, mm. is that it's simple. Right. You know, it's, exactly. It, it creates these simple scenarios, like how's this guy gonna get water, or else he's gonna, you know, die of thirst. Where how's he gonna get this rope around this log? I mean, th- these are like <laughs> scenarios that you see yes. in a western. Um, this guy's gonna shoot this other guy, right? Um, and you know, th- there's this quote by. J. R. R. Tolkien, where he talks about like why people love fantasy. Mm. And he says that fantasy and I'm butchering the quote, paraphrasing sure. it over here, but <laughs> fantasy it corrects for the problems of modernity. Mm. And those problems go beyond the internal combustion engine. He said this in like nineteen thirty or oh, something. Wow. Um, and I think the Western does a similar thing mm. because, you know, our world sucks. It's complicated. Yeah. Like I mean, I'm not even going to get into the world that's been ravaged by the pandemic, you know, but, like, In uh, even under normal circumstances, yeah. it's full of, like, bullshit. Yeah. Um, and the Western, it brings you back imaginatively to this world where things are simpler, things mm-hmm. are freer. Of yeah. course, it's complicated because the frontier, you know, it's it's also a space where, you know, white people are subjugating the, the natives and there's mass slaughter and genocide. But of course, so many Western movies they cast that to the side. They don't really talk about it. Um, they just focus on the frontier is this idealized space, right. this space where you can be free, this space where you know you're not staring at a screen all day. You're trying to figure out how you're going to get your next meal by shooting it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and there's there's something like about that physicality and about that freedom. Um, and about like being part of history before it happens you mm-hmm. know like like not Perfect. not having history being written yet like being being able to shape the development of the united states or take part in it in some sense because mm-hmm. you know as tony soprano says in the first episode of the sopranos like i came at the end of something mm. i i feel like that's a relatable feeling i feel like i came at the end of something you right. know like like it's 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 very common to think that you kind of arrive too late to take part in big things, but the Western lets you feel vicariously that you're, you're part of the shaping of America. Um, Makes sense. So, you know, like there's, there's a lot of that. That's, that's one of the big questions I I wanted to answer for myself because what Red Dead more than any Western ever made transports you to that, like, in a really interactive way because you you get to be in that space you get to like play as john marston doing all this cool stuff that a cowboy can do that you can't do
0: in your office chair yeah no kidding and the other thing too is you not only just bring up westerns and like i said other video games you bring up star wars and compare westerns to star wars now where how did this pop in your mind because i would never have tried to link them together at all other than maybe... No, not even. Because the sword play... Because Westerns used guns. They didn't even use swords. So I don't I yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. How, how, how'd, you, how'd you make the connection Well,
2: <laughs> there's many a gunslinger in Star Wars, man. I mean, well, Quito true. shoots first, Han shoots first. Yes, I mean, that whole scenario was about... That's true. Like, it was fun to... Like, the cantina, Tatooine, these, these are Western spaces. That's um, true. And I don't know where that came from. I mean, it, it might have come from... Um, my background is like a cinema studies minor in college. Maybe some professor like it's 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 a it's in film studies like people talk about Star Wars a lot, right? Um, because Star Wars is actually a super interesting movie, and it's interesting because it's not original. Mm. Like people think that George Lucas created this universe from whole cloth, and in a lot of ways he created, um, he he did create it, but right. he also is this great pastiche artist who just borrowed bits and pieces from everything. He's like, he's like a guy with like a bunch of little pieces of rag, who just <laughs> sued, sew, sewed them all together into like a doll right. or something or a pillow. Makes sense. Like he took a little bit of samurai movies. He <laughs> took these buck, he took a little bit from these Buck Rogers serials um, about, Ooh. and, and these movies about air combat in right. the thirties and forties and he took a hell of a lot from the Western, mm-hmm. not just like the, the imagery and the iconography, but also um, just the, the worldview and the philosophy of it. Like good versus evil, right. black hat versus white hat, um, the idea of dueling as a way of like solving these like really profound True. conflicts, True. you know, um, all of that he took from the Western.
0: I guess. I guess now that you explain it that way, it sort of is a Western just based in space, right? But then even when you have, like, those yeah. desert countries, like you said, that looks like a Western feel, right? The towns and how they live, that's pure, like, like a little homestead that they even have, right? So that's all Western stuff. It's so true. Like,
2: uh, what is it? What's his name? Uncle something and Aunt Beru, right? Um, they're moisture
0: farmers. I mean, right. it's just a made-up, it's a made-up thing. But... Um,
2: the fact that the movie has to begin in this rural setting, mm. you know, with this homestead. I mean, what is a homestead? It's like trying to eke out a decent living on the frontier, like on exactly. the margins of civilization. Right. Um, and you know, like he, there, there's this idea in this movie called The Searchers that I talk a lot about in the book, and mm. it's an idea that's at the core of Red Dead too. Okay. That um, that the cowboy wants to create that homestead Mm. like that that's the one thing the cowboy wants to do: settle down right but because he's been a cowboy because he's had this life of violence Mm. and adventure and like and doing frankly brutal things he can't he can never come home right like the very thing he's tried to make by earning money and like, you know, doing all these odd jobs and cleansing the land of, of like violent criminals or outlaws or whatever the hell he's doing. Right. Um, the very thing he's trying to make this homestead is something that he can never return to himself. Mm. Um, and that's, that's kind of in star Wars too. I mean, like, sure. like when that, when that homestead that they have is is burning up in flames that's an image straight out of the searchers. Like George Lucas literally copied that like almost frame for frame from the searchers. Mm. Um, And it also signals that Luke can never come home. You know, like he's, he's already gone on this path where he, it's almost like becoming a monster or something, but of course, in a good way for Luke. Um, But he becomes a warrior. Like he, he can't, he can't come home again because he's, he's turned into something that isn't domestic
0: Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, speaking of being alone and a marred character, what about your portrayal of John Martin in your book? I love it. I love the way you break his character down, everything about it, like how literally his whole adventure is just to go off and die. Like, who would want it? Like, in writing, think about that. How... How do you reel someone, in? okay, you're going to play as this guy, but you're just going to die, and some stuff happens in between, so here, have fun. <laughs> but, like, the way you break it down, everything about it, like, uh, it's just awe, uh, like, I'm in awe of how, how you did it. Because I'll, with these books, I always go in thinking, like, I, I already know off the bat, because it's boss fight, there's going to have something with the author and his, like background or something that you could relate to his little personal touch like how you did with your dad him being the fact that he's argentinian and used to ride a horse and everything and you incorporated that i love that about boss fight books but i didn't know what to expect because some guys have interviews with people you had no interviews so you brought it in as okay i'm going to break down the main character and then i'm going to talk about westerns obviously and then break down the background and just go from there and I, i just love how you did it so was this how you wanted to write it from the beginning or did it just come about or did you have a plan i mean the thing
2: is like i'm not a journalist um i'm not i'm not a great interviewer the other thing is I tried to get (laughs)
1: interviews (laughs) for Rockstar. Let me tell you
2: about Rockstar.
1: They are not cooperative. Um, They are
2: a sealed fortress. Okay. Um, Okay. So, you
0: know,
2: I tried my best. But I knew from the beginning that it wasn't going to be a making of
0: book. Okay, okay. Gotcha.
2: Because that's not the book that I wanted to read. The book that I wanted to read, the book that I always want to read is like, well, what does this all mean? Right. so I, you know, like my training is in literary analysis. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. what I did for seven years in my PhD. So um, I, I knew that like, I, I wasn't going to write an academic book. Like right. I always wanted it to connect with people. And that's actually what, what I always was um, felt. What I always felt disillusioned by when I was doing my PhD is I was writing this stuff that like four people were going to read and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always just going to sit on a kind of, virtual shelf on JSTOR or whatever sure. um, and I, I actually got I, I really fell in love with writing for wider public audiences while doing my PhD and that's kind of okay. this is kind of an outgrowth of that it was when I was trying to write my dissertation mm. that I started writing for Killscreen on the side gotcha. and I realized oh man well this is where all my energy is this mm. is where my heart is you know no. um, so I always knew it was going to be like Um, a what-does-this-all-mean book that was informed to some extent by, like, my academic training, but not academic. I wanted it to connect with people, and I wanted people to connect
0: with it. Right. So that's awesome to hear. So that's fantastic. Now, speaking of Rockstar, I was wondering if you were going to touch on, like, the controversy surrounding this game, and you did. So kudos to you. Now, did you think you were going to get backlash? Were you scared? Were you like, maybe I shouldn't put this in? But you're like, screw it. Does the internet people know about it? Why not give my perspective?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's complicated. Had Rockstar... I'm not even going to say it though, because like there was a part of me when I was writing this, I was like, okay, well you know what? I've I've tried to back channel all these interviews. I've tried. I've reached out to all these different people, including like obscure software engineers okay. who like worked on the back end of Red Dead Redemption. Sure. All of them are like, oh, I signed an NDA. I'm scared. They're going to sue me. I, I can't talk. To them. Okay. All right. So I was like, okay, well maybe I go through Rockstar PR. Didn't really work out either. Um, Shit. Had you know may, maybe maybe I would have been nicer had they cooperated a little bit. But <laughs> I don't think I would have, man, because I I think that this company deserves that kind of public reckoning. I mean, like, the the crunch, not just the crunch culture, but the irony is what gets me. Right. Like, this is a company that has been anti-authoritarian. Mm. It has been anti-establishment. It's been about, like, the man with his giant boots on the neck of the little man. Every game is the same essential conflict, including Red Dead, because Red Dead is about this guy who is essentially forced by the state, and the state is represented by these, like, cackling federal agents with mustaches and stuff. You know, a guy forced (laughs) by the state to, like, not only gun down his old gang, but also essentially destroy himself. Right. So all of Rockstar's games... Have this anti-authoritarian streak, and that's one of the things people love about them. Yep. So why then do they insist on being a kind of authoritarian company? I mean, that's mm, I see what you know, that's that's the irony that kills me sometimes. Um, because I do love their games, yep. Not all their games, but certainly I love Red Dead um, and Grand Theft Auto Four. Those are my two favorites. Um, but but yeah, I mean, like at, at a certain point. When you can't keep pretending to be the underdog when you become the man. Right. Right. Like that's, and that, that's what, I, what I, I perceive to be Rockstar's like central irony right now. And
0: it just kind of bugs me. Well, the other controversy, because obviously everyone knows about the long working hours and everything in the lawsuits, but the one I'm talking about too is the one in game where they signed this whole big petition, the whole thing that happened in the Mexico scene and everything like that. Do you think now that it should have been taken out? Or that they should have just left it in and if you don't like it, too bad?
2: That's a good question. Um, you know, like, to be honest, on, on that point, like, I, I kind of give Rockstar the benefit of the doubt and I, okay. I think that, they're, that it's up to them to make the creative choices they want to make. Like, there's this part of the book where I talk a little bit about how the Mexico sequence, if you think about it, it could have given the player a choice.
1: Yes. Right? Exactly.
2: Like it the Mexico sequence, it, it could have been one of those things where like you either side with the Federales or you side with the rebels. Hmm. Um, they didn't do that. Um, and I think that, that that's actually one of the most interesting things that they did as a as a as a creative studio. Um, The fact that they force you to kind of play both sides and be in this awkward moral position for the entirety of that segment of the game, and it's deeply kind of unsatisfying on an emotional level, Mm. and the way that Marston just kind of walks away from it is, like, gross. Um, They make you sit with that. I actually kind of like that, you know? Sure. Um, So, you know, I don't don't begrudge the company their creative choices. Um, But... You know, I do I do have a, a beef with the company culture, of course. is what I would say.
0: Yeah, no, most definitely. That's fair, that's fair. So the other thing, too, that you do in this book a lot is you give good history lessons. Like, literally, from the Moors, to politics, to racism, to even the issue of women in Westerns. Now, there's no point of asking if a modern-day Western would work with a woman lead, because it has in Westworld, obviously, in two women leads, if you think about it. So why, why do you think that was that, just back in the day the woman was the one like a sort of like the princess Mario trying to rescue all the time.
1: Well,
2: I mean, I think that with my, my issue with red dead and red dead Two, this is a, a criticism that applies to red dead Two as okay, well. Sure. Is that it's not so much that the female characters don't get to be the lead, although that, that is part of it. Mm. Um, it's more that they just end up kind of slotting into these stock types. And this is something that the Western is kind of guilty of for 150 years now. I mean, mm. it's 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 kind of baked into the DNA of the Western. Um, even Westworld, to some extent, although it does have these strong female leads, even it is a little bit guilty of like letting them be these stereotypes rather than letting them be complex and fully fully-fledged, like, fully-shaded characters. Makes sense. Um, So, you know, you look at someone like Sadie Adler in Red Dead 2. Mm -hmm. The prototype of her is Bonnie McFarlane in Red Dead 1. Bonnie McFarlane, kind of badass, Mm -hmm. like, sticks up for herself. Guess what? She ends up being a damsel in distress. Um, (laughs) And I think Sadie does, too. Um, And it's like, it's almost like if you work within Mm this genre, like it's just too irresistible to make women fit into these molds right. um, and to make them ultimately serve the male protagonist because they're there to kind of like cast a shadow on him or make him seem more complicated or make him seem more interesting. Um, and, you know, I talk a lot in the book about how Rockstar actually deserves some credit mm. for being really self aware and and ironic and interesting about, about all of the stereotypes that are at the core of Westerns, including the cowboy itself. Like right. there's that guy, Harold McDougall, the anthropologist in red dead one. Mm. Yeah. You know, this like absolute disgusting 19th century race science right. anthropologist. Who's like, are you of Norse stock? Oh, I'm so fascinated <laughs> by your white heritage. Yeah. You know, um, and he himself is like kind of a, a stupid caricature, but, but, right. but, that's Rockstar's way of saying we know that the cowboy was born in white supremacy. We know that like yes. it that when the cowboy was invented in the late 19th century, it was because white elites were anxious about the like um about the purity of, of their racial stock getting compromised by immigrants or African Americans or the city or Native Americans or whatever. Um, and and they were, they were worried about the city and, and how it would like sap the white man of his racial strength and all this disgusting stuff. And so they created this icon, the cowboy. Mm. And the cowboy is this hero of whiteness and maleness. Um, so Rockstar knows that if you reach back into the history of the genre, you're going to find this nasty stuff. And the cowboy was kind of born in that. And they m- kind of make fun of it in the game. And as you know, like from playing the game, Marston's no... Superman, no, like he's flawed. Of he's course. weak. He, you know, and and one of the things that makes him weak is that he he, he doesn't always um he don't, he doesn't always stand for good either. Like mm. he isn't like the morally pure cowboy. It's really that that guy Landon Ricketts, you know, who he meets in the Mexico chapter. Like right. that's that's the great cowboy of the Golden Age, even though he's I'm kind of racist too. But you know, right. whatever. Um, so, I give Rockstar a lot of credit for not just trotting out these stereotypes, but you know, in a, in a lot of ways, like calling attention to how they are stereotypes and making a more complex character. But they, they didn't do that with everyone. I mean, there's barely any um, black characters in the game at all. I know. Um, a student of mine was like, "Yeah, I think I saw one black guy, and he was like getting water from a well in Armadillo," or wow. something. I was like. Oh my God! You
0: know, oh, yeah, and they 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 tried to rectify that representational issue a little bit in Red Dead Two. True, but
2: I don't know. I have other thoughts about Red Dead
0: Two. Oh, don't even get me started. Don't worry. I had a whole episode. I had uh YouTuber Shane Lewis on. He he reviews games and all that. If you're into video games, people know who he is. And we, we both had the same thing. It's a good game in premise, but it was so boring, so so tedious. So many things that could have been better, but it wasn't. And I, I, I don't know. It's I can, I understand why people like it. If you like that whole Sims vibe, but I'm not a Sims guy type of guy. That's why I loved Red Dead Redemption 1 instead of 2. i 10 times better without just a shadow of a doubt. But yeah, well, so what are your thoughts? Let me hear it.
2: Thank you for saying that. It's <laughs> so refreshing to hear that. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. Red Dead 2. Like, look, I, I get it. I get why they made it that way.
0: Right, I get of course. Why
2: they wanted to have that texture of realism. They want you to like press square to put the broken wagon wheel on the wagon, or whatever the hell in that sequence. Um, or like when he's hammering a fence in, oh, and you have God. to like hit every single hammer stroke. I was like, you know, I get it. I get the impulse to make the most realistic game right. of all time of in course. this genre, like yeah. the third-person action game genre. But it's not a western. Uh, <laughs> no. Let me be clear: it is not a western, and it's not a western because it's not simple. As mm-hmm. I was saying before, like you know, there you go. for for a western to feel like a western, not only um, do you need some of those mythic environments like the Monument Valley vistas and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but you need that those simple situations, okay. um, those mythic situations where it's like a battle between either good and evil or maybe two different dueling ideas like freedom versus progress or something like that um and red dead is just it's it's too it's too big and Mm. it's too detailed and it's too complicated and it's trying to be a kind of like an entire universe unto itself Mm. and it loses sight of being a like uh Simple mythic narrative, like the which I think is just the necessary thing that westerns should try to do and what makes them valuable as a genre, even if they have all these other complexities and problems.
0: No, again, you're speaking to the choir, I totally agree. Well, the other thing I like too, you dropped secrets in the book about the game, which I had no idea. Like, the one I didn't know was that when your moral is high and the nun in Las Hermanas comes out and then you get the rosary, it weakens accuracy of your enemies, and it's like. I had no idea. Like even with the internet around, I didn't know about this thing. Like, how did you dig up this fact? Well, I'll be honest, I did not encounter that myself. Like okay. that, that was that was found through some like
2: careful digging through the Red Dead fan wiki.
0: Ah, uh, um, gotcha.
2: Because I, I was looking I was looking into these places because, you know, like like a lot of open world games, it's it's so crazy because they the developers spend so much time creating this amazingly intricate world with so many like nooks and crannies. And when you're playing the game, you're just kind of blazing through it, right? Um, you're just going from like checkpoint to checkpoint yeah. or like objective to objective. You're just trying to like, get all the little map icons done.
0: Um, <laughs> exactly.
1: this is
2: one of the things that, that, that has always kind of bothered me about that genre. And I, I actually think it's one of the things that red dead avoids to some extent, because there's, it's so, Sparse, you know, like it, it is kind of an empty world for very good reasons. Right. Um. So I was just, I was just trying to like get a, a handle on this world and looking up all these different places in the Red Dead Wiki and looking at images and trying to figure out, like, well, what were the, um, not only the the aesthetic touchstones that they were going for, like, what kind of places are they trying to evoke, but also like what. What's the spirit of this place? Right. You know, and and for me, the the whole Mexico chapter is steeped in this like kind of grim, ironic Catholicism, and there's no better expression of that than that rosary thing. We're like mm. this nun comes out if you if you have high honor, right. and, and gives you a rosary <laughs> that weakens your enemies. It's like it's a it's a wonderful little joke i think it's it's kind of like the achievement you get for hunting down all the buffalo which i think is just a fantastic joke right um a joke that's like told through game design also Mm -hmm. which i think is kind of cool um yeah like they are good about that kind of thing rockstar
0: no that's awesome now one of my favorite chapters was the violence chapter i loved how you had the sub Chapters as well, how you break everything down from the red eye to the gatling gun, hunting, etc., etc. But I totally forgot about the hunting that it's true, it's meaningless, there's nothing behind it. So, why did you find out? Did you reach out to anyone afterwards, or has anyone told you anything why it was put in the game? Why it's there, or is it just literally again for the feel of the Western?
2: I think, look, I, I haven't gotten any answers on this because, again, Rockstar, Sealed Fortress, I respect that, whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean it's there to make the world feel lived in like if you didn't have all those critters everywhere it wouldn't feel like a a livable world um sense you know and and it's i think it's also there for some of the reasons i was i was talking about before like where the western corrects for some of the shitty parts of modernity you know like Mm. the modern world sucks you're in your like one-bedroom apartment with a tiny bathroom. <laughs> right. You're at your computer screen all day. Well, imagine what it would be like to be on the open plane, mm. hunting a buffalo, riding a horse, like getting getting into contact with these creatures. Right. And I got to say, Red Dead, it might have been the first open world game to make animals a big selling point, but it mm. wasn't the last. I mean, all those Far Cry games right. are big on the animals I guess maybe some Far Card games did it before Red Dead. But around the same time, you start to see these open-world games with these, like, living ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Or at least, it's sort of marketing copy, but, like, what what was designed to feel like a living ecosystem. And I think the most absurd expression of this, and this was actually the first piece I ever wrote for Killscreen, it was okay. about this. I saw this trailer for Final Fantasy Fifteen mm. where it was, like, a wildlife documentary. Oh, <laughs> okay <laughs> and it was no for real it's it's out there it's on youtube okay um and they they have like these like beautiful pristine shots of like animals in the game like like i don't know how to pronounce its name but the curl i think like like that that cat creature in every final fantasy game with the weird antennae oh, okay yeah, um, yeah yeah
0: yeah now i know what you're talking about. sure yeah
2: you know, it's like sunning itself on Pride Rock, basically, like okay. on the majestic savannah.
0: <laughs> like,
2: and it, I was like, what am I watching? Like, yeah. what, what is the point of this document? Like, what, right. what are they trying to get me to see about this game? What are they trying to get me to feel? Yeah. Um, but ev- so many of those open world games are like that. And Red Dead 2 is like the, the biggest offender, I think. The way that the hunting mechanics, they just exploded them. They made them so much more complicated. Like you can, like literally, if you wait in-game days, you'll see the carcass, the carcass rotting under the sun. Right. And and if you like skin a, an animal, it's a completely different skinning animation than if you skin another animal. Whereas in Red Dead One, they sort of have that artful fade to black, you know. Um, so. Open world games, they they want animals. It's both about making the world feel lived in and livable. And it's also because I think we, in our modern moment, we kind of miss animals. Like, there's a great essay about this that I've loved for a long time. It's it's by John Berger, the great art critic, and it's called Why Look at Animals. He talks about why zoos suck. Why do zoos suck? When you go to the zoo, you look at the panther. It basically looks half dead. Yeah. And you make eye contact with the panther and the panther is basically saying to you, my life is terrible. Yeah. Um, Well, they, they suck because they try to bring you back into contact with nature, but they've altered the animals that are there. Makes sense. Um, You don't really get that feeling of like eye contact with the beast Mm. out in the wilderness where it could kill you. You could kill it. You know, all of these like sort of primal power fantasies that especially like, late 19th century early 20th century male writers were so obsessed with um you don't get that you don't get those encounters um instead you get this like kind of sad um depleted version of it so you know i think open world games they try to bring animals back into contact with you but of course it's this like weird thing where it's like a digital rhino that's like about to ram you in the face with its horn and Far Cry, and you're supposed to shoot it with a shotgun. It's totally ridiculous.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) And another thing, well, not another thing, probably the last thing that I learned from your book, too, was the whole euphoria thing about the... Okay, I don't even know about because I'm not into programming or anything. So when you were describing this, I'm like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And then I started reading it more and I'm like, oh, it's the ragdoll physics pretty much. That's what that is. Like, you know what I mean? So I don't even know like the terminology. And l- like I said, you touch on literally everything from the background, from the making, from the final product. So again, was this all on purpose or did it just fall in your lap as, as you were writing?
2: I always wanted to talk about the Euphoria engine because I, I had read about it on some gaming blog okay. or something like back when Red Dead came out, um, and it was a lot of marketing speak. Like I, 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 but I do think it's amazing technology because it really does create yes. these like little custom animations, and it's still in Rockstar's games to this day. Red Dead Two has it. Right. Uh, Grand Theft Auto Five has it. Yep. Um, and it's one of the things that made Grand Theft Auto Four feel amazing Mm. when it came out because that was the first game that used it right and the way that you would like i remember like how initially stupid it felt that you had to tap the x button to make Nico Bellic like jog right otherwise he would just have this little swagger yes (laughs) i was like what is this i thought i'm playing a video game and you're supposed to like default to a brisk jog everywhere you go right
1: but (laughs)
2: but that was a showcase for euphoria because you see the way that his body kind of realistically moves with the space. And like, there's a sense of weight to every footstep and, and it it gives that, that um, heft to the character that makes it feel all the more impressive when he gets thrown through a windshield of a car, when you ram into something and red dead just took that physics engine and customized it even further for the western um, for the western setting, right in ways that I I think make it a really really like interesting and um, and captivating simulation of, of of that space because like you can lasso something and the way you drag it yes. around is just incredible. I mean, the, like that there was that there's like a tweet going around that showed like how the last of us part two is like that realistic rope physics, like someone was like putting the rope around the window or whatever. Right. And you know, like that's a, that signifies expense. Like it, it it shows you, okay, we spent like $200 million on
0: this, (laughs) Um,
2: but it is, it is nevertheless pretty impressive. To, to be in a digital space that feels physical, you know what I mean?
0: No, for sure. Like, even myself, when I first played Grand Theft Auto 4, what do you think well, I kept doing? Getting hit by cars to see what else he could do, how his arms would go flying and everything, and the way he would smack on the floor. And again, like you said, you feel the way. Again, I don't know how you make something that you're visually looking at and not physically touching, but through a controller, and it's almost like you like you said, you feel him smacking on the floor. You're like, ooh, as, as if you're watching like sports or something, right?
2: Yeah, for sure, and not a lot of games capture that really no. well. To be honest, it's true. I mean, pretty much every game in this genre has ragdoll physics, but like they—they they really have something special with the physics engine and with Euphoria.
0: So, if you didn't write or didn't, if Red Dead Redemption never even was a blimp on anyone's radar, never got created, and you were still tasked to write a book for boss fight, what what would be your second choice behind Red Dead? Or what's the next one you want to write? How about that?
2: I'll tell you what I want to write. I want to write about Banjo-Kazooie.
0: Oh, nice.
2: Yes. Classic, rare, rare, um, 3D platformer for Nintendo 64, Berenberg. We all know him. We all love him. And we all have complicated feelings about collect-a-thons. Because that's, that's kind of what the game is infamous for. The fact that, like, so much of the gameplay is just little, like little pieces of shit strewn around the map <laughs> that you have to, like, run around and collect. Right. Um, but it was one of my formative experiences as a gamer, like, playing that game, walking into an independent game shop on, you know, somewhere in Manhattan and, like, them being like, oh, you like Mario 64? Give this a try. <laughs> and I tried it and it just, it popped with color. It had so much character. Right. It had so much, like, wit and humor like it made mario 64 seem like a dentist's office like it it really <laughs> it really had something different some uh, like personality that came through these like weird pol- polygon figures and i i love that about it um and of course it's also one of those games that has a crazy development history because you know there it it started out i think as some sort of other project that might or might not have involved dinosaurs or maybe i'm thinking of like star fox adventures dinosaur planet which rareware also made and that had a crazy development history so if i were to write a banjo kazooie book i would definitely make it a story it wouldn't be like the red dead book gotcha it would be a narrative um and you know it's a story i'd love to tell
0: now, what was cut from the book, or what didn't make the final pages, or that boss fight thought that maybe, hey, no, maybe we'll save this for next time, or whatever—it's not in w- w- tune with the w- with the tone.
1: Oh man,
2: I, I'd have to let me think. Like, what, what's on the cutting room floor? It would it would probably be like one of those parts where I was discussing yet another Western movie because I I did okay. this thing throughout the writing process where every time I would talk about something that tends to happen in a Western, I would give like three examples when one would do. Sure. Um, So the (laughs) cutting room floor is like littered (laughs) with like discussions of, Oh, here's this other movie from the sixties or this other movie from the fifties, you know? um, And it was just such an amazing editorial process because they, they were on the same wavelength as me, from day one, and I I so appreciated that, and it's so rare, to be honest, Um, especially in in writing about video games. I mean, I I was trying to do something with this book that I think is kind of out there for a book about a video game, Um, and they they supported it from day one. They they bought into the vision, and they also helped me craft it in the most amazingly rigorous way. Um, So, you know, I'm really thankful to them for that.
0: And again, I... Praise them every time I have one of their authors on. Like every one of you guys say the exact same thing about them. It's like they're amazing to work with. You have so much of your own input. And what they want to take out is to make it better, not because of their own ego or because they want to put some of their ideas in, right? Exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah, I mean, and they, and they really see things that, you know, as a writer, you don't see. Like the edits weren't just copy edits. They were conceptual edits okay. and they were and they helped me refine these ideas so much. Um so yeah, I'm grateful to that.
0: Now before we get to the dumbass of the week and we wrap this up, what are you currently playing? What am I currently playing?
2: Well, my last big game before I fell into the Lego abyss. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Like, was Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, okay. Did you
0: play it? No, I have... You know what? I hate to say it. I'm not a big Final Fantasy VII guy to begin with. My Final Fantasy was Final Fantasy three on the Super Nintendo... That was what I Again, I'm older, right? So I grew up with that. When Final Fantasy VII came out, I was in high school. That's when I started liking girls over video games for a little bit. So I fell out of video games. And then I came back, obviously, because now I'm a huge video game fan again. But yeah, that was, I, that was the four years that I missed. And so many games fell in. Like the N64 era, that was during my high school year. So I didn't have an N64. Like I never got to play Goldeneye. I never got to do these certain things. Like, you know what I mean? If anything, I would play PS1 and play like all the sports games. That's just about it. So I missed all out on that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I hear you, but I agree with you. Six is my favorite. Um, I think it's like like and six, by six, I mean American Three. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah, movie yeah. Movie. What? Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. There's but so many.
2: <laughs> but that game, what that game did with storytelling—right, like having a 14 character ensemble cast. Thank you. I mean, Final Fantasy 15. Took like ten years to make, probably cost like three hundred million dollars to make. Which just and it it had four characters, right? I'm sorry, but like, thank I you. Think we've lost something over the course of the series because six was amazing from a storytelling perspective. Also, the way that it has the world of balance, mm. and then the game lets it be destroyed. Yes, and it becomes the world of ruin. Love it. Like, what game can you think of that has the apocalypse happen in the middle of the game? (laughs) Most games are post-apocalyptic. Yes. Right? Exactly. In some form or another. Like, this game has the apocalypse in it. It was was just, it blew my mind. And And I like it better than 7, but I like 7 too. And the remake, I'm a big fan. I love it.
0: Because here's the thing too. I'll, again, everyone knows I'm not a big RPG guy. Like I love, my favorite was Zelda on Super Nintendo. Like that's as far as I go for any of the Zeldas. So that that was my bread and butter. I the thing with RPGs, I always got lost. I don't know if I was too stupid or too slow to figure them out but i just couldn't figure them out except for like i said zelda and final fantasy 3 not once did i ever get stuck i always knew where i had to go and the map obviously always didn't tell you where to go but you put stuff together like you said the storytelling was so unbelievable that it was so hard to get lost if you were enthralled in this world because you knew exactly what to do next because oh they said this so i gotta go do that and so forth and so on like you know what i mean so that's why i love final fantasy 3
2: and you know what? It was kind of an open-world game. I yes. mean, that last chapter in the world of Ruin, you can go wherever you yep. want once you get the airship. Um, but you're right. Like, you always know where to go because it has a good story and it and it keeps you enthralled. It doesn't need that arrow on top of your character's head right. with the compass um, <laughs> directions pointing you in exactly the right Okay, you have to go here. I mean, either we've gotten dumber, like, <laughs> over the years... Or, frankly, um, open world game design is gotten dumber, because you shouldn't need that. It, it should be evident from the story, like where you have to go and what you have to do.
0: No, so true. So, that ready for the dumbass? Yes, sir. All right. So, this week's dumbass comes from the States. It doesn't say where in the States. It just says in the United States. So, I assume everyone in their life has had horrible neighbors in one some in one way or another. I would assume, at least. Have you?
2: Well, yeah, absolutely, and especially roommates.
0: Oh, roommates. Well, that's true, of course. <laughs> What's the worst thing that's ever happened to you with said neighbors?
2: Well, um, neighbors, not so sure, but I do have a roommate story that I, Good that I will share briefly. Um, I had a roommate... He, he once decided to impress his girlfriend by making a very pungent lobster bisque okay. on a Friday night. And he used every pot in the kitchen to make this like ridiculous soup. And then he took off for the weekend and left all the dishes uncleaned oh my God. in the kitchen, festering, just making <laughs> the most disgusting smell you have ever smelled, like just death right. and fish. Um, and he just left it there for the entire weekend while they were out of town.
0: Oh my, the whole weekend. i even just overnight. The, the whole, whole oh the whole
2: weekend, the whole weekend.
0: Wow. Well, my he,
2: girlfriend who is now my wife, like we had right. to like lock ourselves in my room and just like put a towel under the door and like stew in our own anger.
0: Oh my God. That's horrible. Thank God. I don't have like any of those type of roommate stories, but I do have neighbor stories. But besides that, okay. So this week's dumb Okay. So, like I said, everyone has disputes with their neighbors. The the dispute I had with my neighbor is, this is the worst one that always happens with people, is we had to build a new fence. So, obviously, it's on the line. So, something happened, and now we don't talk to each other, right? Let's leave it at that. So, this person sort of had the same beef. So, two people lived side by side, or two families, so to speak, and they lived side by side for 20, 30 years. They were great friends, best of friends, like in the olden days, how it used to be, right? Where you could trust your neighbor, go for some milk and sugar if you run out, whatever, right? So one of them ended up passing away due to old age, whatever happened, right? So now before he passed away, though, they came to an agreement where he allowed the other neighbor who was still alive to keep something like they built like some sort of shed in the back and they both shared it. So it was on both, it was literally in the middle of their property, right? So now someone else moved in and they didn't want the shed there. And then the other guy was trying to say like, no, listen, like this was always here. This is how it is, whatever. And then to the point where the new neighbor went, got... Everything surveyed, saw where the line was. They even did the line. It was literally, like, no joke. I don't know how these old men ended up doing it. The shed was literally half one side, half the other. So Mm -hmm. the person who lived there forever, obviously, old school, doesn't want to move, doesn't want to budge. Too bad. You're new here. Like, what say do you have? You know what I mean? So how do you think the new person decided to take care of this situation?
2: Well, I'm thinking about, you know, the biblical story of King Solomon you know, and the idea of cutting the baby in half—you know that story, right? right like, yes. Yeah, is it? Did something like that happen?
0: You got it right. So the new person who moved in <laughs> is into construction and literally got a chainsaw or whatever tool you could use to cut it through and cut it in half. And then, not only that, it was nice enough to place the half he cut onto the neighbor's side so he could have both pieces.
2: Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay.
0: Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. So oh, now, who's man. the dumbass, though? The person who cut it in half or the old man who didn't want to budge, right?
2: That, you know, th- that's, that's an intriguing philosophical question, to be honest, <laughs> because I mean, th- th- this is something that I ask my, my students sometimes about books. Like, who who's the winner? Who's the dupe? Right. It's hard to decide in this case.
0: It's, it's hard to decide. See, I understand, okay, so if, okay, I'm going to play a devil's advocate, both situations. If I was the old man, I understand someone coming in, whatever, but again, you don't really have say if it's on his property. Who who are you to say that you could leave something on someone else's property? That's not fair. But at the same time, the other person, did he go too far or was he just fed up with the situation, right? <laughs>
2: You know, I mean, this is one of those things where, like, the the guy was following the letter of the law, but he wasn't following the spirit of the law. I mean, if you're going to be someone's neighbor for 10, 20, 30 years, this is is like a sin at the root of your relationship. I know. That's just going to turn into ugliness for decades. I mean, who knows what kind of, like, awful crap that old man's going to do to this to this other person
0: well that's the thing and that's what I don't understand yeah it's exactly and even in my case with my neighbors why would you even want it was so such an easy situation to solve it was all a misunderstanding because lines got crossed and everything but they just don't want to budge and and you know and then what like you said you're going to live like 10-20 years next to these people who you despise like maybe sometimes you won't even want to go in your backyard because it's like oh I don't even want to bump into them or walking down the street or something like mind you I really don't give two shits if I see them I see them but I'm just saying in other people's situations, like why would you even put that anxiety on people?
2: You know what though? People get crazy in suburbia. Like I, you (laughs) know, I grew up in New York city. Like I, I never thought (laughs) that I was going to be the kind of guy who like cared about my lawn. I never thought I'd have a lawn. (laughs) I moved down to Miami like two years ago and we were in a house now, like in the suburbs. Okay. All of a sudden I've become that like suburban authoritarian where like i i care about like what's what's on the property line i care yeah. about my lawn looking better than the other guy's lawn and i don't like it when the guy across the street has a better lawn than i do and it's <laughs> stupid like i i really didn't think that i would ever care about such petty nonsense right but like something about like living in the suburbs it, it just makes you turn into this like little lord of your own fiefdom <laughs> that's know,
0: hilarious because i'm the complete opposite like i live in the suburbs now too and i don't give two shits about my lawn i don't treat it all i do is literally mow the lawn and pluck the weeds that's the basics i do and i don't give a shit if the next door neighbor has the so-called golf lawn like you know what i mean like the grass that's on a golf uh what's it called golf no uh, golf nah um the greens what, what's it called where you yeah, cut on turf uh... yeah uh, whatever whatever it's called whatever the golfing grass sure perfect so like i don't care as long to me as long as someone cuts it now mind you there's a neighbor across the street from me who, who cuts his grass like maybe twice the whole summer that's it mm-hmm. so that's going a little extreme too like i understand letting it go for a little bit you might be busy you know may, may, maybe it rained a few times that week you didn't get to it sure but to let it go like that long like uh, i don't know man
2: well, that that's what I'm saying. I mean like I I didn't when I was living in a New York apartment building I didn't care if the person next door was a big time drug dealer. I didn't care <laughs> if the person next door was su- some kind of, you know, domestic terrorist. I you know, like you yeah. don't you don't care about other people's business when you're in a New York apartment building and I find that beautiful. I love that. I love the 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 way that you're like in your own little box. Um and you can kind of tune other people out. I guess I guess I'm sort of a misanthrope. But, you know, when you're in the suburbs it's different. There there's a little bit of uh there's eyes everywhere. Like people looking at your stuff, you're looking at their stuff. It's it's weird. Right. You know?
0: Oh my god. And the other
2: thing is like like lawn care is a whole different thing too, because I actually do have a neighbor story that I just thought of, like the sure. the guy the guy who's our backdoor neighbor. Yeah. He mows his lawn compulsively
0: I he's got nothing nothing
2: on that thing i mean there's it's no crazy. trees
0: it's crazy there's
2: no deck furniture there's no deck to speak of at all <laughs> all he has is just like lawn right and pretty much every two days maybe right. every three days he's out there on the lawnmower just mm-hmm. meticulously getting every inch of that thing and i at that point, like, I'm getting sort of serial killer
0: vibes, frankly. <laughs> right? Makes sense, because I got yeah. a few of those in my neighborhood, too. And it's like, it's always, oh, there he goes again. And, and, and the funny thing is, the people who do this, at least in my neighborhood, all do it first thing in the morning, like at 9, 10 in the morning. That's when they go out and mow their lawn. It's like, I don't know, maybe, like you said, it's routine. You have nothing else going on. Maybe they are retired. I don't know, whatever. But to each his own. <laughs> I'm not a long guy, and that's that. Yeah, yeah. Well, one last question, actually. Since you're a Western fan, if you could bring one modern invention into the Wild West, what would it be?
2: Oh, man, what a question.
0: Hmm.
2: I think think a washing machine. Oh. Because this is something that my wife and I talk about all the time. Like, we, and she in particular, we watch a period piece. Okay. It can be 18th century, it can be 19th century, it can be 12th century, whatever. Right. She always makes the same comment and I always find myself agreeing with her. These people stink. <laughs> you know, like
0: like and it's true most right. eras before the modern era. True. People
2: stink. I mean they 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 did not wash properly. They what the king washed once a year or whatever. Right. Um and the Western, like, it prides itself on bringing you into this dusty place, this dirty place, this people are doing nasty, brutish things, and you're closer to nature, and you're closer to the earth, and whatever. Right. Everyone stinks in the Western. Of course. I feel like they, they could use it, maybe a shower. Maybe a shower is the invention I would bring. But a washing machine so that they don't have to do that, like, rough washing with the like hand whatever that thing is called the wa- the washboard right you know which is always a kind of like scene setting little detail in any western like there's always someone doing that over like a, a wooden basin and they're just sweating buckets and you know just make it easier for everyone freshen up
0: so how about this i'll go a step further for you how about indoor plumbing
2: Oh, my God. I should have gone there. Yeah. You kind of of need one to have the other. That's absolutely true. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to go with, because I was thinking about this, too, when I thought of this question. I was like, maybe the internet. But I'm like, why would I want the internet if no one else has access to it, and I'm just going to be looking at a blank screen? So that sort of doesn't make sense, right? So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm like, I know a friggin' fridge. Okay. You know what I mean? Because then you can preserve yeah. food. Like I'll have ice. Like unlike in like uh, Back to the Future Three, where it took that huge locomotive machinery to produce one ice cube. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so that yeah, would be no, mine. That,
2: that makes perfect sense.
0: That would be that mine. Makes,
2: a fridge. A fridge would be a real boon to these people.
0: Now speaking of Back to the Future, was Back to the Future Three your favorite? Since you are a Western guy.
2: No, I like Back to the Future too. Yeah, me um, too. And I, I particularly, look, I don't want to get political or anything, but I particularly <laughs> love Biff becoming president, because I feel like it's one of those, it's That's one of those so idiocracy heavy. moments. Have you, have you seen the movie Idiocracy? No. It's, the, it's, this, um, it's this comedy about, like, an, a completely average guy okay. who, like, somehow through some government experiment, wakes up 500 years in the future, oh, shit. and everyone's a dumbass. Okay. You would love it, I think. Oh wow. Um, everyone is a dumbass and everything is stupid. Um, <laughs> okay. it's an amazing satire. And like I feel like Back to the Future 2 with Biff president and oh, yeah. that that whole sequence, I mean it it's it I love it. It really captures my worldview. I do think that everything is getting stupider and everyone wow. is getting stupider yeah. and that we're all just headed into a stupid abyss. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I just love it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, for me, it's the favorite as well. Well, Matt, thanks for coming aboard. Really appreciate you being on today.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So now's your time to shine. Tell them where they could find the book, where they could find you on social media, all that fun stuff. Take your time. The floor is all yours, my friend.
2: Sure. Well, you can find me on Twitter at, at Matt Martini. It's just my name. is pretty pretty simple. And you can find the book uh, at bossfightbooks.com, um, where it, it should be. Right on the front page or close to the front page. Um, you can also find it on Amazon, Google Books, um, pretty much anywhere where ebooks are sold. The ebook is only five bucks. So there you go. Might as well give it a shot, you know? And if you want the paperback copy, which I might add is beautiful, it feels great. The paper is like nice and thick. It's just a tremendous and wonderful reading experience. Um, that's on, exclusively on Boss Fight Books' website.
0: Awesome. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finga styles. You could follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast DAP. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Listen to those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, helps me out. And obviously the most important thing, please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. All good, my friend. All right. On that note, he's Matt. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.